in case you did not know or have not paid attention or have simply forgotten because the world can sometimes seem like it's just on fire in the midst of one hot mess after another. Here today, on this Joy Sunday, I have come to tell you or to remind you that God is a creative genius. Today is a perfect example. It's going to be cold and gloomy and rainy from before sunup to past sundown. On the very day that we're going to pack 50,000 meals for hungry people. There's that much hunger in the world that we are sponsoring an event that will, if I can say it, be fun. Tonight is going to be fun. About a hundred of us will gather in our gym and Christmas music will be playing and there will be frivolity and people will renew old friendships and meet new people and put names and faces together and children will be working and teens as well and people of all ages even people with infirmities will be sitting and working and there will be laughter and we will feel like a church family our first event of this kind since COVID and there will be joy while we prepare meals for people that do not have enough to eat let that sink in just a minute. Joy, while we do our little part to address hunger. In other words, tonight, there will be joy in the face of tragedy. This is where Southern woman guilt likes to rear her ugly head. How can there be joy tonight when there are hungry people? Here's the creative genius of God. That God could create human beings with the capacity to feel and experience two extreme opposite emotions simultaneously. Two times stand out in my life. I've told you about both of them before, before, but they are so prominent in my mind when I think about this kind of creative genius of God. Though I can honestly tell you I pay attention to this all the time and I've had thousands of experiences like this. Thousands, I tell you. But the two that stand out, I was a sophomore in college when I met grief up close and personal when my beloved paternal grandmother died. We gathered at my aunt's house and after some friends had stopped by to offer their condolences, it was just the family left. My grandmother's children, my father and his siblings in the inner circle, surrounded by all my cousins, her grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And I was so profoundly sad. And we told stories and we laughed and laughed and laughed. God is a creative genius. About 15 years ago, I traveled to the Holy Land after my father had died. I was devastatingly sad. I still am. As we stood on that Mount of Beatitudes and listened to the guide read from the Sermon on the Mount, 
Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed's this. Blessed's that. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. While tears stream down my cheeks, wanting it to be true, when the class clown of our group stepped up behind me and in his very best Monty Python accent whispered in my ear, did he say blessed are the cheesemakers? I could not contain my laughter. We were like middle school kids cutting up in class. God is a creative genius that you can sit in this room in the midst of the world's despair and your own private hells and for a second allow yourself to laugh or smile or experience any ounce of joy. To be able to experience joy in the midst of profound sadness, grief, pain, chaos, despair, fear, angst, depression is a gift. Joy that shows up in the middle of despair should not be squandered or missed. God is a creative genius. So when joy appears, grab it for whatever fleeting moment it might last. I give you a poem by Mary Oliver entitled, Don't Hesitate. If you suddenly and unexpectedly feel joy, don't hesitate. Give in to it. There are plenty of lives and whole towns destroyed or about to be. We are not wise and not very often kind, and much can never be redeemed. Still, life has some possibility left. Anyway, that's often the case. Anyway, whatever it is, don't be afraid of its plenty. Joy is not made to be a crumb. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. May it be so. Amen. Amy and I were raised in Clinton, South Carolina. It was a small textile town until profit took precedence and outsourcing robbed a way of life from most of those on whose backs the profits were earned. There were six mills when I graduated high school in 1982. Only one remains, staffed mostly now with the executives who make the money and the machines that do the work. Clinton was a small town. There were 1,200 kids in, the, in Clinton High School. And when Amy and I started dating, Clinton had a Hardee's on the corner, two local hamburger joints, and one Ingalls grocery store. It was a wonderful place to grow up. We are not planning to retire there. <laughs> For a lot of reasons, but not least of which is that the one Ingalls grocery store is still the only place to buy your weekly rations. We have been spoiled. Cannot imagine doing without fresh fruits and vegetables and international options and the unbelievable choice of meats and, and uh, fresh catch and there's live music in the wine bar. 
You know, no one is crooning Neil Diamond over a nightclub soundtrack as you enjoy a glass of Cabernet in the Ingalls in Clinton, South Carolina. It may be the most easily overlooked extravagance of our lives. It is an extravagance that most people who have ever lived anywhere on the planet could not even dream. You feel like having lamb chops for dinner, chicken cordon bleu, a pokey salad with tuna sushi, tomato charred pepper farro vegan salad, you need fresh strawberries for your Christmas drop-in, it's five minutes away, 12 months a year. And you can order online and never even get out of your car. How much labor, sweat and tears and pain, how much do we take for granted every time we walk into one of the Harris Teeters we pass on the way home, or the Fresh Market, or Whole Foods that we visit complaining about the price of a gallon of milk. Like old Rodney Dangerfield used to say, I get no respect, but with farmers, it's not an exaggerated joke. Someone toiled to put anything, and I mean anything we want to eat, anytime we want to eat it, on our tables. Now, we may not be able to thank all of the farmers. We can at least be aware of their work. In this season of Advent, we are focusing on the future tense of faith. We named the future tense verbs of this year's Advent text in our opening litany. Salvation is nearer than it ever has been. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. The young woman shall bear a son, shall name him Emmanuel. It's all in front of us. Not quite here, not now, not yet. That saving grace of which the church so often speaks, it's coming. It's coming soon. Yeah, right. Can't you just hear the skeptics? And I do think we have to understand them. If all faith is postulated as coming soon, we have to understand the legitimacy of that critique. An article that I read in the Christian Century magazine about 20 years ago will not leave me. While respectfully written, the Jewish rabbi explained why he could not believe. You call him the Redeemer, he said, but the world is so clearly not redeemed. No, the world is not redeemed. I shared some of my concerns with you recently. So if faith is just wishful thinking, one day it'll all be better. Just wait. We'll get there. When we get to heaven, if that's all hope means, well, with the chaos all around, you can understand why it may sound hollow to some people. So what is the prescription for people of faith in anxious times? I think we still can find that prescription in Scripture if we listen carefully. I think in this world we watch and wait. I think we learn to be patient. And I think we learn to be patient like farmers are patient. Any farmer who expects a harvest at the end of the season will tell you it's not about putting seeds in the ground and patiently 
idling your time. Wishfully thinking the frost will stay away. Wishfully thinking the pest will stay at bay. Wishfully thinking the weeds won't come this year. Wishfully thinking. Farming is a patient game, but it is patience at work. It takes at least a month to grow a single head of simple lettuce. It takes between two and three months for ripe strawberries. And if you're counting on a good hamburger for supper, it'll take almost two years of feeding and watering and tending for disease to get that cow ready for the market. And all the while, we are stopping by Harris Teeter day after day after day, and the shelves are always full. Called James the Just, the writer of today's text was the brother of Jesus. He was writing to new Christians who were scattered now all over the ancient world. They had been told Jesus was coming back. There was general anxiety in the church in these early days. But when will he come back? And where will he come? And what do I do in the meantime? Do I quit my job? Do I get married or just wait? Do I finish school or do I just sit on the mountain and pray? James can speak to us today, to a world that is still not redeemed. James says to the church, be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Beloved, do not grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. See, the judge is standing at the doors. As an example of suffering and patience, beloved, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Be patient, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. Well, just as it has learned to do so many times in its history, the church adjusted its understanding. When is Jesus coming? What does this mean? Well, Maybe Jesus isn't coming like we thought. Maybe it's not now in our lifetime. Maybe it won't be the literal, physical coming to earth of a man from first century Nazareth. Maybe the coming of the Lord. Maybe the Christ child is born. Maybe the second coming of Christ is about you and me. Be patient. Like the farmer is patient. Rising every morning and crawling into bed, bone-weary every night, working all the necessary work, waiting all the long days, trusting that the harvest will come. But patience is not about waiting for one day, just hoping, wishful thinking. Patience is about the work that is at hand. Patience is working faithfully for as long as it takes. As the old preacher of Ecclesiastes says, it is doing whatever your hand finds to do with all your might. Doing whatever your hand finds to do with great joy. Beloved, be patient, just like the farmer is patient.
May it be so.